every sunny tone, stories about the culture. Do out in sculpture, recording every Friday. So here it our way, no need to catch a flight away. Stay tuned for our take. All right, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 122 of After Dinner Conversations back. I'm here, Mike hosting. Corey's here hosting. Steven's here hosting. And we have a special guest today, uh, Mr. Galori Brutus. Steven, you want to hit the sound? Oh, you're in, you're you're gonna, give him the applause for you know he's a special man coming in. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So today we would like to introduce our special guest, Mr. Galori. Uh, how you doing, brother? What's going on, guys? Thank you for having me, man. I love that that entrance right there. That was cool. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, no, I had some uh, feedback that during the semester I'd be low energy sometimes on the pod, so I'm trying to... I'm screaming. No, nah, no, nah, I'm out of semester. <laughs> I'm trying to you know, <laughs> bring more energy because uh, we, we do record late, you know, sometimes or on the weekends we'd be busy. All three of us are busy men. Um, yeah, but I hear sure you. I pull my energy weight too up here too, so... To get started, we always check in every week to see how we're all doing. So, Corey, Steven, how y'all doing? Go ahead, Corey, man. Um, I'm good. I mean, I think to, to Mike's point, this semester is uh, over for the most part. Graduation, I will cross the stage uh, by this time next week. So by the time we record uh, episode 123, I will be done officially. Um, don't ask me to go back to school. Don't ask me to read no papers. Don't ask me to read no articles. No more. I am, I am done. Um, but no, I think, you know, being able to look forward to that. I have an upcoming move that's coming um, in a few weeks. So a lot of stuff is just really, you know, coming into fruition, stuff that, you know, worked for, thought about, prayed for is is coming to fruition. So I'm, I'm super excited. Yes, sir. Um, I'm straight, man. I already told you, man. It's grad, it's grad season. It's graduation every day of the week. I feel like, and twice on Sunday. Um, but it's good to see all of our friends graduate. You know, Paul graduated, I believe, it was last Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, little brother graduated the day before that. Shout out to um Robert, and then mm-hmm. my cousin just graduated uh this morning. Uh, doctoral in uh pharmacy. So shout out to my cousin Kajol. Uh, and then more graduations next week. So it's just trying to keep up, waking up early morning to listen to speakers that no one low key cares about, talk about their journey. And then you kind of listen to a thousand names get announced and you wait for your one. And then just kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot how long graduations are, man. Uh, so I was, I was in the Excel center for the first time. I don't think I've been to Excel center since probably high school. Like I don't think I went to any of the UConn games when there's that Excel center. I only went to the ones at Gamble. So I really haven't been there in a minute. And maybe it's because I got older. It looks small. Like, it looked real small. Maybe I've been to more stadiums now or something. But it looks small. And I was like, damn, this is crazy. Um, but, yeah, no, nah, everything else is good, man. The weather's finally having some consistency, warm. This is, like, the first weekend. I don't know about here, but the first weekend I've been around where, like, it was warm during the week and the weekend, right? It usually, like, tapers it's off. True. It gets rainy. Yeah, it gets some bad weather. As mm-hmm. soon as um, so, Maybe we're in for some good weather in May, uh, God willingly. But other than that, we good. That's right. What's your glory? How you been in the past week or so? Man, I've been good. I've been good. Uh, like I said, uh, thank you all again for having me. And you know, it's it's like it's one of those things. Like Steven mentioned, I've I've been going to graduations all week too. Um, yesterday was the third graduation I had this past week, and I have my little cousin coming up next Friday. Um, and she's the youngest graduate in the whole family. She 
she was quick with it. She knew what she wanted. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's cool because all of us have had our own path. And my other cousin who graduated yesterday was her older brother. Uh, it His journey was a lot longer, you know, and you get to learn from the people from that came before you. And it's cool. And just to be able to see how that's coming together, um, it gets me excited. And I'm excited for this new week. That is for the new chapters coming in. Uh, it's my birthday, actually, in two weeks. Hey, man. So, you to you, man. <laughs> you say that before the time I'll be right. Well, you know. Uh... <laughs> there you go. There you go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Um, I turned 27, you guys. It's crazy. I turned 27 in May 27. 27 mm -hmm. on 27. So You, you, you 96? I'm 96, bro. Uh, right, so I'm a year older uh, than okay. you. That, I'm a year older. Uh, me, oh, me and Mike are. Corey's 96, too. I'm, I'm only 97. Or... Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, wow. But you've always been around 96, baby, 94. Like, I feel like at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I'm basically 96, bro. I'm like don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, no, don't, don't, don't do that. I was, Even I was, I was conceived in 96. That's all that matters, yo. Conceived in 96. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, wait, hey, listen, I don't know, Corey. I, I mean, I feel like he's always there, you know. <laughs> he he try, he tries Lord, to be, but we vote. He, he's the, the guest is spoken, there. man. I, listen, I, you got to come on more often, man. Now I know I got a teammate. Let's go. <laughs> yo, look too funny <laughs> well yeah man it's it's been good super excited you know so we'll, we'll see what we got coming up yes sir yes sir so i definitely want to start off just um asking you a few questions so the audience gets to know you better a glory and know more about your background so first question is um well tell more tell us more about your background where you where you were born uh where you came from and how has it led you to your build your narrative franchise that you have going today yeah um uh, man so I was originally born in Haiti. I uh, came to the States in 2011. I was just roughly about 14, uh, turning 15. And quite frankly, I spoke no English, you guys. So if y'all were speaking to me back then, I probably wouldn't be able to say anything. <laughs> but uh, I went straight to ESL courses. I actually went straight to high school. Um, I was fortunate enough that I cared about books and reading. You know, and uh, thankfully, my parents had done a great job raising me as well. So in school in Haiti, um, it was pretty much the way out anyway. So that really helped me. And once I got here, uh, really worked my way up to come from ESL freshman year into AP English my uh, senior year, which was a big jump for me because I remember when I was applying to UConn, I'm like, well, I want to get my credits in and trying to figure it out. So anyway, uh, long story short, I went to UConn uh, with all of you guys, actually. Thanks. <laughs> uh, uh, right in the third year being here. And, you know, I started at the Stanford campus, which is where I got to actually connect with you, Mike, um, for two years and then went to stores and came back to Stanford and, um, quite frankly, my journey as far as building my own area was really being built there. And so I always felt like as if I had the opportunity to do more and and destined to do great things, but I didn't really know what that's like because ultimately I just wanted to help people. Um, my family, we were raised in a foundation where being Catholics, 
our parents and great grandparents, they had the opportunity to have always been around priests and nuns where education was always how they really spoke to other people. And how it got passed down is they literally built schools and chapels. My grandpa, my grandparents. Mm. And yeah, um, they built a chapel in their community. And so my grandma was like the caterpillar of everything within our family, especially uh, for our parents. And so, which for me got the education, even as far as like learning how to say the Our Father, right? Like my basic yeah. prayers, right? So um, that passed down. And, and when I was at UConn, I was trying to figure it out, trying to figure out what did I want to do? And yeah, I loved uh, science, technology, engineering at the time. I thought that's what I was gonna be end up doing, and which I was. That's pursuing. how that's how we met, right? Because we yeah. both built career size, yeah. Exactly, because I when we made that transition uh, and, and connecting at stores, um, I was you know going full on. Yeah. I think at the time, I had learned like three languages already. Uh, they were doing C plus plus with us. Yeah. Uh, they were doing JavaScript. And they were doing Python. So when I got to stores, um, I feel like we had to learn so many other things. I was like, oh, man. Like, that's when I really got exposed because, Mike, you know this. The transition from UConn Stanford, like any other campus student that's coming to go to a bigger campus, it's not the same. So mm. the gap was so much more elevated, um, which forced me to to start really looking into what that would look like. But I was stubborn, man. I was stubborn because as much as I wasn't doing as great while I was in the school and, and trying to figure it out, but I was still trying to push for it. So mm -hmm. um, not until I, one summer in 2017, actually applied for an internship to work for a couple of startup companies where I got to do... Uh, software engineering in the back end they were actually helping me to do ui ux design okay. uh, which at the time um i was coding using H uh, php bro i don't know if you've ever used php i, I, I not, <laughs> i've never had to use it i've had to edit some code in there and do some uh, uh -huh. reviews <laughs> right <laughs> it's no joke. Man, yeah God so bless. Bless. php was the was the language we we're using html Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I was also getting professional development as far as like understanding business mm -hmm. and learning what it would just be like to put together a business plan as basic as that. And, uh, we did a competition, which was a group of the nine cohorts of our interns. Uh, my team won. I felt like we won effortlessly mm. because it was easy and it, and I'm not saying the, to 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 brag, but no, it's okay. You can tell me. <laughs> it was really cool because, like, it was so much like we didn't try as hard. We tried hard, but we knew what we we're doing. And mm -hmm. my role was product uh, research, so I was really into the marketing aspect. So that was like my first exposure and, and researching data and learning about customer relationships, understanding how customer journey works, and all that. Uh, and building a business together just so we can find our product fit, right? So uh, we won that competition, and there went my light bulb, man. Uh, 
the light bulb switch right there. I was like, if I could do this and do it as easily and do it so good in a way where I'm, I, we were being judged like as if we were on Shark Tank. Yeah. So think about that uh, because we had local lawyers. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Reset and Hartford. Uh, Vaguely. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 a nonprofit organization that puts together uh, accelerator programs for small business owners, and they that's they were the ones that had the internship program um, okay. together like that. So that's where my light bulb popped. That's where I even even discovered the word entrepreneurship, guys. Like, I mean, just to think about that journey, being from Haiti into getting here. Like, I didn't, I still really didn't. I, know anything about <laughs> you know business like that i mean i did uh but basic so uh and i decided there that i was still gonna pursue computer science believe it or not i was stubborn bro and hey, listen it happens to the best of us bro. <laughs> as, as, as a graduate of two degrees i could tell you uh, stubbornness carried me 80 percent of the way <laughs> so you know you know what i, I mean. know yeah uh but I knew I would have to switch to business. So like mm -hmm. if I had to make that transition eventually, um, I was going to figure out a way to do it. So uh, I realized that if I did either like an MI, um, MIS degree. MIS, or, yeah. Yeah, uh, information systems or economics that could get me way through. Mm -hmm. So the economics was the easiest in terms of graduating and I thought I was going to graduate on time, as, but that was past my time. And mm -hmm. But I was graduating at a time where for each of the years I was spending there, I was learning a life lesson as well, where I felt like I was really writing my story and building my narrative. Because from there, I worked at an IT firm where okay. I got exposed to technical sales and doing um, IT stuff in the back end. But all of that i'm still like going through the process right okay. and um because my stubbornness is what was pushing me and 2018 uh when i was supposed to graduate is when i realized like you know what it's not it's happening working. how mm -hmm. i was supposed to so um uh, let me make the switch and got into banking um uh, after the sales job um, even still when I was in school before COVID mm -hmm. and uh, to the point where a year later, I was like, I'm going to put together my own business because I've been around business owners. I've got to work with people and that's idea of time was coming together mm -hmm. where it was like, now I'm 24, I'm about to turn 25. And if I don't do something together now, by the time I'm in my 30s, it might just be too late. So do I want to wait? And I, something I've learned is people will forgive you more in your 20s than they will in your 30s. Think of a rapper. Uh, uh, say, like, you guys want to start rapping right now. Everybody be like, what, what's going on? What are you doing, right? Like, it wouldn't make sense, even if you had the skill set for it. But you might get away with it. But if you're like 35, hey, you want to get start rapping. Go, go, go get a job, brother. Go get a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what they be saying. Exactly. So uh, as far as starting the business, I feel like, yeah, I could still do it later on. But I could probably learn a lot more, a lot quicker at this younger age. And so that 
is what really transformed and, and to inspiring me to start the business as far as realizing I was writing that story each year and I wanted to be able to help other people and being able to write their own stories and, and find a way to amplify their voices. And now we're about a year and a half in and blessed be to God, we keep going and until things keep, you know, probably <laughs> they'll be stubborn again and keep on going and, and figure out the ways. And if we got to pivot moving forward and whatnot, but as of right now, that's, Kind of the whole background, I, I summarized it a little bit and longer, but uh, to share with you guys in the audience as far as like my story and background. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, it's an amazing story. Um, and for our audience, just to get to know how a productive man like you operates, like, could you describe what your top two, just two personal strategies are for balancing your life challenges from throughout this whole journey while you're developing all this personal growth across so many different areas that you just, just described? Yeah, uh, two personal strategies that I do. I, I, I use this thing called the four by four method. Um, the four by four method is really um, focused priorities, uh, daily activities, and um, looking at these two things that really makes sense. And so if I have my priorities in check and the activities that I want to get done in check, how am I going to be able to produce more, right? So keeping things together in terms of, of course, like calendars and all that, but uh, even like, so the bigger picture. So I, I know if I have a bigger picture as well, and I simply allow myself to go through the process as far as, okay, there are four main things I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. What's the bigger picture? What are priorities I want to focus on? What are the daily tasks I need to really get needed really down to actually accomplish these tasks and last but not least uh, execution so um, that is kind of one of my strategies um, that I've used that's been helping me and now at this point where I'm at also as far as being able to work in the business I've had to get a business coach to help me as well because I knew that I can't do it by myself uh -huh. So my second strategy is having someone that has already done what I'm doing and I can learn from and a mentor that I can uh, ask questions to really help me uh, navigating through this process so that I'm staying on top of what I need to do and, you know, at least just staying on, on the goals ahead of me, you know, so yeah. those would be how I really stay on track now. Real, real quickly, right? So you say you had a business coach, right? Like just briefly, like give our audience an idea of what that is. Like, is that like a mentor, like somebody you knew, or did you go through an organization to figure, like, figure out who that would be for you? Like, what is that exactly? Yeah, I mean, a business coach or business consultant is someone that has the credential and capabilities to be able to help another individual to run their business and. Mm -hmm. um they could either have had prior businesses themselves or even have gone to school to get their MBAs and whatnot, but they have the experience of what it's like to put a business together. And so for me, as far as how I was able to get connected with that person is because I attended uh, my first business uh, event, professional event in 2021 in terms of 
entrepreneurship itself. So mm-hmm. it was the first time I was allowing myself to dive into that space. Um, and I met this gentleman by the name of Brendan Gadouris, and he's been a pivotal uh, person in terms of helping me as far as the things I've been able to do. And he is a four times author. He's been doing things for a while. He started a lot younger and had the opportunity to work with other business owners, which has helped me to learn from him a lot because we have on on the weekly uh, coaching calls. We have on on monthly uh, masterminds now and even just doing things as far as like hosting events together, hosting workshops and getting to speak on different stages and um, all of these opportunities was because I got connected with somebody like him. So a, a business coach can be a mentor, uh, but it doesn't have to because a mentor is someone that, you know, we all can play mentors to our younger sisters, yeah. our, our younger uh, uh, people we have on our lives. But business coach is more, that's mainly their job. Their role is to be there to be able to help you and, and guide you through that process. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Thank you for answering that. Absolutely. Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing so much of your personal story uh, with us and our audience, man. Uh, it's always wonderful to hear about people's journeys, where they come from, where they're going, uh, and what's coming up next for them too as well. And so you spoke richly. I got no more questions to ask. We can cover everything, all my questions I had. Uh, so we're going to transition to our cocktail hour where our audience knows we talk about our local or common news stories over the past week or so. Um, to start, there's been a fairly serious story about the uh, homeless black man, Drew Neely, who was put in a chokehold on a New York subway train. I think it was the F train um, a few weeks ago. And he uh, unfortunately died from being in that chokehold by a white man, a former Marine named Daniel Perry um, as well. Uh, I think he is, I think the Marine is turning himself in yesterday. I think he did. For he, did it, he, did, he did it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for manslaughter charges. Um it's a lot of controversy, of course, mm-hmm. as it always is with stories like this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's details that are clear. There hasn't been any videos of about of what led up to the incident itself. Um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of he he say she say about being aggressive behavior, threats, and you know, a lot of counter stories and, and stories moving forward. But I just want to get what are your general reactions to the story? Um, and just like, you know, in the current like climate that we have in the United States right now. Um, I mean, I think Mike, you mentioned a lot of what my thoughts were in terms of what what happened right Mm -hmm. and i think you know that's probably the biggest question of them all because it's hard to say anything one way or the other without knowing the what really happened again they always say there's you know three stories you know one person's story other person's story and the truth lies somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. so will we ever really find out what happened you know who knows right but i think to your point, you know, what was there aggression? Were there threats beforehand? You know, me finding out, I, I think I just found out yesterday that the chokehold was lasted for 15 minutes, right? So, I mean, I think there's details that slowly come out. And I think that's how so many news stories are, right? They don't tell you the whole story up front. There's bits and pieces and bits and pieces here on Tuesday. So, again, regardless of what happened, do I think, you know, the, the, the young man deserves to die? Absolutely not, right? I mean, I, I don't think that's part of the question here. I think, you know, it's in terms of, you know, the consequence that will come from it for the ex-Marine. I think that has a lot to do with the story that we are unaware of Mm -hmm. still to this point. 
Um, and I just wonder how much of it will come out because I think, again, at this point, whenever somebody passes away, you only have one side of the story, right? Yeah. You're never going to get the, the other mm-hmm. person's perspective. And I think that's likely the most unfortunate part. So, you know, certainly prayers to the Neely family and, and all those, you know, involved in in that situation. I know it's it's tragic to to hear things like that. And I, I hope we can finally get to the details of, of what actually occurred. True. Yeah, um, I, I don't have too much to add from Corey's angle. I think, first of all, the situation is unfortunate. And it's sad. Like, I feel like every other podcast we're coming in talking about yep. either a shooting or like a stabbing or something, something going on in the world. So it's, it's mm-hmm. terrible times we're li- living in. Yeah. But uh, I think w- when you look at the story, right, and you take the context of the story, right, it being a black homeless man in New York and a, this being a former Marine, like, the pieces already look fishy because any we've all been to New York. Everybody on this call, at least, like there's homeless people mm-hmm. everywhere in New York. There mm-hmm. are homeless people who are I don't want to call them delusional, but will just talk to you and talk to you while you're walking. You don't have to say a word; they'll carry the entire conversation. But at the end of the day, like most of the ones I've met, and I, I'll say all the ones I've met are like physically harmless. Like these people aren't really again. I'm, I don't want to make any assumptions on, the, on what was going on, but like it's. It's a common thing when New Yorkers just look at a homeless person or not look or just go about their business because it's an everyday thing. And so when I when I look at these details, right, or the details that came out, the 15 minutes of the show code, and it's apparently it just it said he was doing something, but it wasn't like it was a threat to the person's life. It just sounds like somebody who looked who saw an opportunity to like be a hero for himself, right? There's nothing going on. No one was in danger, but he decided to take matters into his own hands. And so I'm gonna be very interested to see how this plays out. Um, I'm usually a pessimist when it comes to things like this, when there's not enough camera footage and re- relying on witness testimony, which I don't know how it works in court these days, but it's it just depends on the case. But um, I think it's just very unfortunate for the homeless man. And I, I don't know. I Once these details come out, we'll probably revisit this conversation. But I think it's tragic to see that, you know, this is what people like to do with their spare time to people who don't have homes. <laughs> so mm-hmm. pray, pray, prayers to him. Yeah, I, I agree with you both there. I mean, um, I, I don't have much to add as far as uh, the the overall scenario and what happened. I mean, it's just, you know, we, we get to a point where we always have to say it's so unfortunate. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I'm tired of that. And like, sometimes I just get so mad and I choose just to no longer listen because it's not that I'm putting a, a blind eye or a bad ear, just... It just, you know, it sucks because for me, it was just like, I remember from the Trayvon Martin days, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, you, you know, you guys, we were much, that much younger. And it's always something every year. It's always another Black man who has not been always as harm. And it's like, okay, you know, what are we doing? Yeah, these conversations are helping. But I think there's so much more that needs to be done. Um, and it's not just... Uh, the citizens or the police officers or it's it's everybody and um it's a situation where when you look at it you're like well like what did this happen right and mm-hmm. I think what we can all learn from is just to be able to take the that you know and educate those in which that may or may not are aware about it and the way that, that they could be and um hopefully where we can have a better shift forward, we'll be able to have these conversations 
impact you know the, the people in our communities a little bit better because um i feel like it is not a year that goes by there's not a story like this that comes up you know yeah no that's very true um and thank all y'all for your answers um of course it's very it's very sad um for one thing that you mentioned galore since the trayvon martin i've always been that's we the trayvon martin happened we were like high school age um yeah crazy raw like adults now you know and we're still talking about stories like this but mm -hmm. during the whole 2010s i would say that something that always stuck with me was was so the popularity of social media just pretty much hyper visualize black death in american yeah. media mm -hmm. and i remember just seeing all the shootings um michael brown ferguson you know all, you can you don't have to say yeah like you know there's like the graphic footage that comes out shootings are live, they go through social media, they're on the news, and, you know, I'm like, why do we just consume black people like, literally, physically, visually dying so much? Mm -hmm. And that's for one thing, and for two, it's just, I'm like, does even seeing, is seeing even enough, that that makes sense? Like, seeing the crime, seeing the injustice enough to move people to do something else? Um, is it, you know, even talking about the, um, uh, George Floyd, so sorry, George Floyd, yeah. When the eight, eight minutes, the whole thing was, you know, put onto the internet, and then there's a whole the whole movement that happened after that. So you could say, in some regards, yes. But other times, it, I don't know if it's like can create the systematic change that we're all looking for. Because it seems like we're stuck in the cycle of terrible event happened, but black death happens. We react, mm -hmm. we get upset, we try people, to get accountability. People take people take a knee. Fight. Don't forget, people take a knee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with, then, the, with the Kente cloth. With the Kente cloth, yeah. yeah, right. Um, oh. But yeah, uh, yeah. And then the seriousness, but yeah. Um, that happens, and then you're like you know, we just come back to the week. We're back here another week. How long have we been doing this podcast? We've been doing the podcast for three years. Three years. Yeah, come three back and a half years. Around, every few weeks, and yeah, um, and just the same things over and over again. So it is really sad. Once we get more details, we can dig deep about you know maybe the what happens what happened in that moment. But so to say that it is sad that homeless people are even treated to that level. Um, mm -hmm. and it is a sad thing, like Steven said earlier too as well. Um, so praying for those families and that are involved, like Corey said, and so our, our second. Cocktail our topic will be on the debt ceiling. Um, so a very, very, very like 30 second breakdown. The Biden administration, usually when the United States is approaching their debt ceiling, usually it's like a bipartisan thing to just raise the ceiling with no conditions. Um, but right now the Republicans have control of the House and the federal Congress. So the Republican leadership wants to raise the debt ceiling, but on certain conditions that they cut government spending in certain areas. You heard you might have heard about Social Security, they always trying to take away health, cut Medicare, stuff like that. Uh, so there's like a gridlock and negotiations between the Biden administration and the Congress. And so I wanted to read this quote that I took from the New York Times, excuse me, uh, article about what does it mean if the U.S. United States goes past its debt ceiling? So start quote, uh, once the government exhausts its extraordinary measures and runs out of cash, it will be unable to issue new debt and pay its bills. Uh, the government could wind up wind up defaulting on this debt and if it is unable to require to make required payments it to its bondholders uh such a scenario will be economically devastating and could plunge the globe into a financial crisis um if you live through 2007 2008 even though we was in middle school it's not fun living through a, you know a global crisis or a global recession or depression if it gets that bad um but i wanted to ask y'all uh, how do y'all feel about the federal government gridlock on this issue um and do you think the u.s economy could survive a debt default based on where we currently are post-COVID with the inflation and everything going on? Yeah, yeah I got with Corey. No, go, go. Yeah, economics guy, bro. Business majors. No, I, I think Corey could kick it off. I mean, I, I have 
some opinions and some thoughts, but you know. Nah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You the, 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 the floor has been open, man. You the guest, so you got. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's crazy, you guys. I feel like we technically have already been um, in a recession, and a way you know our economic crisis has been going on for a while now, right? The the mm-hmm. big thing that's happening right now, it's just. Only a reflection of the fact that when you look at these past five years, just kind of how things were prior to COVID and after COVID, you know, the world has shifted. And because of the fact we're spending so much money, uh, we have to borrow so much money and whether or not it's the Ukraine war uh, and, you know, unfortunate events that's been taking place, the, the way in which it's going, I think with, what the Biden administration is just doing right now, I don't know how well we'll be able to respond because it is in a situation where our tax dollars are going to be going to all these other things that we probably shouldn't be paying for. But at the same time, um, this is where if if you're a business owner or if if you're someone that... um, has just the opportunity to be able to fully maximize ways for you to bring in uh, new income to your household or earn your family, your opportunities can rise if you know how to do it strategically. But then again, how is it benefiting us uh, as a whole, as a society? And the U.S. Uh, being where it's at, I don't know um, how well we'll do but I'm choosing to be optimistic and I might be slightly delusional here for a little bit only because of the fact that I recognize that for this next you know, decade, for the remainder of this decade, especially for those of us that are in higher ed or that are trying to elevate themselves, right? Like all of us right here, we have a bachelor's degree and then some, okay, yeah. so we will probably still have to get our skill sets at a level so much higher to compete and stay um, marketable just enough for us to be able to have the competitive edge. But if companies are no longer going to be hiring, Mm -hmm. but their demands are a lot higher and you have a competition that's coming in and how do you respond to that? Right. So you look at the labor force itself uh, and that end, it's going to be much more demanding with the new technologies and AI. All of these things play a part because ultimately, um, I think the best way that we can respond to this is by doing two main things. Continuously upgrade our skill sets, whether or not if it's school, schools or online learning, but then also being able to respond by having to bring in opportunities for yourself because the government's not going to do it for you. Uh, you know that for sure. We Our debts, that's just the way that it's just for our own personal debts, right? Student loans alone is just going to kill us so many times. Probably how long you have to pay that back. Um, but I'm just looking at it at a way where I'm not shocked, if anything. I'm, I'm just choosing to be optimistic. And I'm also mm-hmm. looking to figure out ways that I can stay marketable so that I can either produce more income at home 
and you know help my community however best I can and I'll help my family so that it's kind of like my overall I mean it was a general perspective just because like mm-hmm. I don't know uh, Corey you might have a bit more technical uh, take on this because Corey is the Washington Post yo, so he gets updates <laughs> weekly <laughs> you know I'm, I'm I don't know that's just how I see it how do you guys see it mm-hmm. um so I mean, I, I went to go look, and I and I knew I didn't know the exact number, but I knew you know the federal government facing a ceiling or facing potential default is not new, yeah. right? And so you know it looks like it's been raised. The debt ceiling has been raised seventy eight times since nineteen seventeen, and currently stands at thirty one point four trillion dollars, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so these these are our big numbers. This also isn't a new experience, right? And so I think a lot of the times for folks that, and I, I'm so glad that we have Mike as our political correspondent on the pod, but a lot of times for, for folks that don't know the landscape, I think a lot of times there is a lot of fear that's put with some of these articles, acting like this has never happened before, or acting like this is a, a brand new phenomenon. I know 78 times, since 1970 1917 it's still a lot right 31.4 trillion dollars we're not talking about you know a small amount right we're talking about some big dollars here but i think the one thing that i'm hoping and i don't know again sometimes politics is more than just the the logic of what's happening and sometimes there's emotion involved sometimes somebody just doesn't want to give and that's what causes the gridlock but i think there is some hope from my end that the gridlock causes a very intentional conversation about where spending is happening, right? And I think, you know, that is in an ideal situation. Again, I don't know what the arguments have been on the House floor. And I can imagine that some of those are emotional. Hey, I just don't want to give. Hey, I just want my party to win. Hey, this doesn't benefit me or whatever the case is. But I think it is important to, at this point, especially given the spending that has happened in the past three to five years as we look at uh, pandemic relief, as we look at uh, some of the the bailouts that have happened, as we look at uh, the stimulus funding and, and all of these things, these were big ticket items. Yeah. These were huge things. We're talking, we're still talking about removing uh, student loan debt. I don't know where that is in, in, in the uh, priority of things right now, but that's getting rid of a huge amount that, is planned to be collected by, you know, the federal government. And so if we, if we wipe it away, you know, that that's a big conversation. And so I'm just hoping that the gridlock is realizing the impact of, Hey, if you get rid of student loan debt, you know, what happens? Hey, if we, are we acknowledging the amount that we spend over the, the past three to five years to really stimulate the economy? Um, you know, what, what was the true impact of that? Are we looking at, you know, still interest rates, still a low supply of housing, right? We're look all of these things will, will add up and, you know, it's affecting GDP, it's affecting buying power. And so I think, I think there's just my hope, at least that whether the ceiling gets raised or not, I'm hoping it does, because I think default is a much worse scenario than we can imagine, but assuming that it gets raised with condition, I hope the conditions are more than emotional or political ploys. And I hope there's impactful and meaningful economic conversations that will impact both sides of the house to make it the best possible situation for, for the U S citizen. 
Well, we had his flash car in front of his, his laptop hey. because he, he was now now I got go. now I got flash cars now now Stephen I can't I can't just have my points and and, nah, and probably with you. Nah, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't have too much to add. I think like going back to Mike's question, I think this is going to be bad. But the reason why I think it's going to be bad is a lot of times when there's recession a recession, excuse me, there's a lot of compounding issues that are coming together at once, and so I think the debt ceiling is its own wahala because. You know, when politicians want a politician, they're going to do that. And so I just, I'm going to, I think we should anticipate a lengthy discussion slash debate on what those criteria is for it to be raised. Um, I don't know how much y'all been keeping up with the the banks that have been closing down over the last couple of months. I think. Silicon uh, Valley. Yeah. What, what was the one that, that closed down like last week or two weeks ago? I just forgot the name. It's not Citibank, but it was like, I think the fourth biggest bank. In America, is that Silicon Valley? No, Silicon no. Valley. Silicon Valley was early in January. There was um, that was. I was. Gonna, I'm, I'm, let me see if I can find it real quick. But it was a bank that was within the, within the last two weeks, and a lot of smaller regional banks, which are very important, especially in lots of parts of like Middle America. Oh, um, First Republic. Bank. First Republic. Thank you. First Republic. Yeah. Close out. So there, there's a lot. There's a lot going down with that, and I think I don't think I know because I know people who work at banks. Shout out to my guy. Um, that, you know, the government is doing their best trying to keep people calm because the worst thing that can happen is people to run to banks and try to withdraw all their money at the same time. And obviously, if we're not printing enough cash and we don't have enough cash in circulation, that's impossible. And the worst thing that can happen is for people's faith in banks to go away. And I think you, if you look at history, you saw that, I want to say, in the early 1900s, probably around right before the Great Depression, was it the Roaring Twenties that come before the Great Depression, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, you see, you saw that around those times. So I say all that just to kind of summarize the idea that we have a lot of things compounding with that debt ceiling that they're approaching. And I don't think most people realize that we have these compounding things falling onto that. It's more of like looking at that and saying, why aren't they getting things done? Which is true, and I don't blame them because you vote them in, right? So yeah. we're going to see and, how and, it plays and, out. Ahead, and I think, you know, adding just a quick point, I think to the some of the conditions that Mike mentioned, again, while we're in, you know, our 20s or whatever the case is, some of this stuff doesn't directly impact us. But I think when you talk about Medicaid, when you talk about a Social, Social Security, Security check yeah. not going out, I think we're going to realize just how meaningful and how widespread these government programs are, right? For folks on fixed income where Social Security is their only lifeline mm -hmm. and one check doesn't come in. God forbid two to three checks don't come in. This this is gonna be a this is gonna get bad quick. Yeah. And I don't know if, if people realize it. And I think especially our age, because these programs don't necessarily impact us the same way, but yeah, we all have people in our lives that it will impact and it mm -hmm. will get bad quick. So well, they've been telling us since we was in middle school. By the time we retire, Social Security would be a thing exactly. Fast. So it's not. So it really don't so, matter to us, right? Yeah, we're we're saying like, damn, people losing Social Security tough. Meanwhile, it's like the auntie <laughs> down the street who just be on the porch collecting her Social Security check once a week, go buy her bread and eggs, who really need that check. Yeah, is going to be impacted greatly. So I, I agree with you, Corey, on that for sure. Yeah, and and one more thing, actually, I, I think Corey, you, you mentioned it earlier. It's also, uh, you know, the fear factor and. Yes, mm -hmm. and I think you know. Hopefully, it's not just political ploys, um, because as much as that will have a big impact on you know our those folks that are actually be impacted, it's just that it's it's so unfortunate because of how the media is also using that to to really push and and drive out fears in people. Right? I remember 
uh, I was at the bank uh, doing the PPP loan crisis and those big ticket items you were mentioning earlier, Corey, I mean, it was crazy. We would have uh, clients and customers that were coming in that were trying to withdraw like, you know, their whole life savings over a hundred K and we could not wow. do that. You know, we at the bank, banks don't yeah, keep that much they, money. They do not keep that much money. <laughs> so, just to give you some perspective. So mm -hmm. I think that in itself uh, speaks value. Sure. And thank you all so much for your answers. I was writing down some notes. Um, I'm going to give my opinions. We already spent a lot of time on here, but thank you all for giving all y'all great opinions on it as well. Um, I want to transition into our topic for today, which is elevating your story. Um, we're going to talk about how we every person has a unique story, uh, how we can use that to really operationalize our growth in so, so many different areas, or how we can use our story to better understand ourselves as we go through our journeys through our own lives too. And even taking confidence in our stories too, which are not, are not, not a lot of people, excuse me, um, have the capacity to do or know, know how to do um, just yet so far. Um, but to even before we even get to all these stories and you know words and stuff that we're going to use, I just want to ask you how do you define what a story of a person is? I know Galoria started, he started from Haiti, he saw his family experiences, his academic experiences, work experiences, um, things he learned along the way, and that kind of built who he is today. But in, in other terms, like, is there other ways that we can define our stories too? Are you talking about like from a symbolization perspective or like talking about open. your story? Yeah, it's open, open, open topic. If someone said this is my story, like how how can we define it in different ways? Story person, story Stephen Sam. Like, story Stephen Sam. Um, <laughs> I think it, it has to be a, a defining element or quality of who you are, and like how do we this this exact moment in history, like the present second, that's constantly taken away and becomes the current second, how it relates to you, right? Because, you know, somebody can say, so you, somebody can show you a tattoo and be like, hey, this is the story of my life. And it could be a one biblical quote, or it could be someone from their past or someone who's been influential to them. And that is their life story without without them telling you anything, right? That's their story right in there in front of you. And so I think right now when I hear that, I think about from more of a symbolic standpoint of like, okay, what defines you? What is your purpose? And those things can either be, and it could be multiple things at once. It could be you explaining your origin story from Haiti all the way to Stanford, Connecticut, or wherever, or can you be talking about the moment you were down bad and the moment you realized that you are somebody of importance and you can take that and carry it with yourself. And that it could be as simple, as complex as you want, but I think it has to have a meaningful place in your life. It has to have a moment of significance to point to, and it defines the purpose of the reason why you're here, at least for me in one way. No, I, I think that significance is is so true. Cause I think, you know, as I get older and you know, you could we could finally start having those conversations with our friends. But I like, remember 10 years ago, it's crazy that we could say that. But yeah, we we That's finally nice. old enough to to start saying that. But it's so interesting what we remember as well as what we forget, right? Because you could have a friend that you've known throughout your whole life. And I have, you know, a friend that we'll talk and we'll ask about middle school or high school or elementary school. And I'll say a story that he completely forgot about, or he'll say a story that I completely forgot about. So the way our mind works in terms of what we choose to remember or what it chooses to remember, because a lot of times it's, it's out of our, you know, direct control, but what it chooses to remember and what it chooses to give significance to versus what we choose to forget 
it, it's so interesting. And I think sometimes we even intentionally try to forget stuff that we just can't shake off. So mm-hmm. to Steven's point about significance, I don't know if it's conscious or, or unconscious, but there's so much that happens in life that regardless of all the minute details, we remember this vividly as if it was yesterday. It could have been 15 years ago, but we remember it like it was yesterday. And then there's something that we thought was big in the moment. You asked the person two weeks later, they don't forgot about it. Right. So don't even remember what happened. Life <laughs> has, I think those moments that will always stand out. Sometimes it's just, you see a car drive by and that car reminded you of that street that you were on. And though there's, there's those moments of, of significance that I think all add up. And I think I refer to it more of as like a quilt, right? You know, you put all these little pieces together and you stitch them together and that becomes a story. And they, they could have no relation, right? Some of the best quilts got random pieces of fabric from all over the place and somehow they make it work. But that's, I think that's what life story is. And I think you could have a twin. Y'all literally grew up in the same room. And y'all have two completely different life stories because what y'all chose to remember is, is a little bit different. That's yeah, I, I mean, that's honestly probably, you know, uh, one of the best answers i've heard you know the way in which you guys put that together because a story really can be the way to define it right uh whether it's yeah coming from haiti and and to living in in the united states or remembering our uh friends at party 10 years ago and i would choose to make that something of significance because the biggest thing i'd say that even makes a story a story is the part of it in which we're trying to bring to life that one has meaning and value for and how is it going to resonate with somebody else listening to it and uh, that value in itself makes the story because if it's uh, the quote that resonated with them from the bible and if it's just a fun thing we did and how much it was just a, a good memory um it has value right so whether if it's unconscious or conscious um it really is one of those things where i think what separates um stories from each other is how unique it may be to you and the value you choose to give it uh and how the people perceive it so that's that's the only thing i'd say yeah, and those are beautiful answers. And that question was meant to be open, not meant to, you know, any different different direction. But just something like, you know, we talk about stories, we talk about people, and it was a little philosophical. But just like, how do we really, you know, set the boundaries on that? Because, like you said, it could be your whole life, it could be a certain starting point, it could be, you know, the time you had an epiphany, you went to church that one time, time you got, you met the right person, and then you really became the person you are today, as well. And for like a mini example, I'll say that. I'm not defining my, I'm not, I wouldn't define my story by what I went through in college, but I know everything I am today is defined by, you know, everything I went through in the past seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not everything I am today, but a large part of who I am today um, was defined by what I went through, through my undergrad master's and my current doctoral journey right now. And that really shaped how I've seen the world, shaped you know, like who I am. And there's like even smaller stories that we can tell within our stories too. Um, and I can, you know, it's just about, you know, what's the starting point? What's the ending point? Uh, how do you, and, you know, for what reasons do we put those points there too? For, for um, excuse me, uh, for those reasons too. Um, and as we're talking about elevating your story, as people, especially in the United States, try to build their platforms, start their businesses, you know, do what they got to do. Um, do you, how can people really build platforms that remain true to the experiences or to the stories that shape who they are? 
I even question for us too, because we do uh, after dinner conversations, and I feel like it's unique to three of us as we come together in our collage. Delory got his build build your own narrative um, platform that's unique to him his, and his experiences. Um, but we know that these platforms take consistent and hard effort <laughs> for all of us on the pod. Take multi year effort to do the things that we've done uh, so far. But but yeah, how can people really build this platform without losing who they are in the process? I think you're all thinking what I'm thinking. Uh, authenticity. Right. Um, For sure. It's definitely one of the first things that comes into mind because when you are true to who you are and authentic about what it is that you have to share to other people and what is it that you really want to do, right? Like, for example, I define the, the meaning of building one's narrative is the ability to tell the world what it is that you're after and what it is that you're looking forward to do as far as making a difference in the world. So for me, my values and that is authenticity, uh, having an impact and being able to connect with others in a way that help change somebody else's life, right? So um, in terms of building a platform, if you can have that, uh, those core values that you really stay true by that means a lot for you guys right 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 even after the conversations right when you're having these conversations with different folks like i'm sure you know you know 122nd episode you you heard so many different stories from people and um one thing i'd say i've realized and come across like even the the conversation we were having earlier right Stephen was mentioning you hear some speakers sometimes you don't uh, connect with you go to commencements uh yeah to tell you their life journeys doesn't always resonate but uh really it's if, if you're building a platform if you connecting with other people in a way where you giving uh your true authentic self and showing up uh that way because the same person you are online versus the same person you're in person really if these two come together and you know you are the brand, you, uh, you are the business, um, you are the person who is driving the forest, you the one behind it all. So how you break, present yourself to the world, what you want yourself to be known for, right? That's another thing uh, is like, what do you want to be known for? Like, what do you want people to remember you for, right? So, and I think, you know, if you have a voice and you want to use that voice and, and your platform to impact other people, how do you want that legacy to be like? And these are things in which I personally care for because um, I always thought about, you know, the people that came before me and, and uh, those in which that resonated most with me because I mostly align with the underdogs because at some point I felt like I always had to prove myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, and um that in itself could help you push forward and into bringing together something that's bigger than you and um for anybody that's building uh something of much bigger than themselves they're gonna have to be able to really show up um as a source form so uh I th- so I agree with Corey. I also agree with Glory about what he just said. Um, authenticity. I think that comes down to it. It's, it's weird because I want I, I want to say you have to stay true to yourself, and that's so corny, but like true at the same time. But like more so, like 
even when you change your purpose, even if your purpose changes, you should still be true to the person behind the purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's the idea that we're all going to change. I think we've changed a lot in the last three years. Even how we've structured our pod has changed over the last three years. And but I still think what we even even our vision for it might have changed, but what we hope to accomplish with it kind of remains the same, right? And so it's trying to keep that one part as the like top piece and allowing the the building below to we put up different foundations. There's new walls, there's new paintings, there's no software, but the same. I said the top, excuse me, the foundation is still the same. Everything that's holding the pod or what the pod is for is 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 what keeps it kind of going how we stay excuse me consistent with it now if that changes then maybe it's a different pod or we got to do something different that fits what we're doing at that point in time but i don't know how you can keep necessary the same consistency without having something that's consistent within what you're trying to accomplish because uh, a lot of things are going to change that's just a given so i think for us it's just i think I think we're some pretty good dudes. There's haters out there, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they don't hate. They don't hate on Steven or Mike. It's just me. So yeah, nah, well, they, they definitely hate Corey, but Mike's a favorite. So I'm just I'm just the middle child again at this point. But <laughs> nonetheless, I think we've we've done that, and I think when people who've done that with their platforms, they will talk about that consistency they have for their mission. So that's just my two cents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I'll add is you have to be okay at the beginning with the ugly phase that's going to happen. Like that first, like, I remember when I first started growing my beard, like those little, those patches that you get and Nasty. like the, the chin strap that you got. Like I look back at pictures of like, yep. yeah, freshman mm -hmm. and sophomore year. And I'm like, yo, who let me go out like this? But, <laughs> but that's the first phase, right? It's, it's, a, it's an ugly phase when Steven mentioned the construction on the foundation, the, the construction site looks ugly until they start putting the siding on until the windows are in. But when you talk about they just, you know, broke ground and it's just dirt everywhere and you got a couple bricks lying over here and some tractor, it's ugly. So when people say, you know, hey, your audio quality wasn't up there. But yo, we don't got mics yet. Right. You know, like <laughs> those the, that phase, sometimes you just have to start. Yeah. You just got to start. You don't know how to make a flyer yet. You don't know who to ask questions to. You just know you have an idea that you need to start. And you have to be okay with whether it be the first year, whether it be the first three years. I think they say when like in the restaurant business, you might not even break even till year five. Yeah. Right. So you have to be okay with that beginning stage where you going through and you getting bad reviews or, you know, when the when you like you might look back at your uh, your first flyer your first event from 10 years ago and be like Yo, who let me put this color scheme together right but you just had to get started and i think a lot of people want to start off when with everything already done right they don't want a project they don't want to to build it they rather you know i want 10,000 followers tomorrow it's like no you might not get 10 followers for your first year yeah. right and you and you got to be okay with that but as long as you back to the authenticity piece, if you're truly authentic, you know that you have a mission greater than yourself, be ugly. The first five years is going to be ugly. The first year is going to be ugly. You're not going to get no followers. Nobody's going to like your stuff. People going to hate. As soon as you get 20 followers, people going to hate. And you got to be okay with, with all of that because that's how construction works. It's literally ugly until probably move-in day. 
And even on moving day, they still got some windows that they still got to put some, you know, filling in and they still got to finish some stuff. There's no furniture in there. Right. It's never going to be perfect or ideal. And I think you got to be comfortable with that. Yeah. There's there's this famous quote by this motivational speaker called Zig Ziglar. He said, you don't have to be great to start. You just have to start to be great. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, He just puts your abilities together and like you said Corey and being able to be okay receive constructive criticism too and people not liking it you know something else I had to find I don't know if you guys found this like people also don't owe you the support right in the beginning whoa 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 hold on hold on hold on This is gonna Drop be a clip bars. right here. That might be a clip right there, man. <laughs> what? No, seriously, people don't owe you their support. No matter how, how much you think your friends, your your look, even your families, right? Like your college friends and all these things. Like because part of it is you have to show up enough for yourself first for them to even recognize whether or not you believe in yourself enough to be able to attract them to get to what you're doing. Because part of it is just like, you know, if I had to uh, make phone calls and dials, I, you know, I worked in sales for a little bit and I was reaching out to friends and family in the beginning stage because I was doing insurance at one point and that was ugly. Dude, I hated that. I was just like, oh my God, what is I doing? But what was that teaching me? I ended up working for this guy who is a seven figure owner and my role was to make 125 dials a day. And before I couldn't even make 40 dials a day, but within four months I worked with him, I had to make over 5,000 dials within that month, within those four months. And so learning those skill sets and being able to be okay with not having other people show up for you and you showing up for yourself, oh my God. And that will tremendous because you got to know your self-value and worth more than you know other people may even have on you so like that is all of part of of being authentic too because dude i I could tell you so many stories myself that i've had to learn from and things lessons that happened within those past three years Mm -hmm. that's just like made the biggest impact you know yeah for sure i feel that this is, this is a clip right here. It's a clip right here. <laughs> Gotta mark this down. We like an hour or some change in. Right, right, right. Not for sure. Um, what are you thinking, Mike? I wanted to ask because when people are building platforms, when they're building businesses, even like we're putting our stories into it and we're sharing our stories across audiences. I think one of y'all touched on a, a great point. I can't remember who it is. I apologize. Y'all touched on a great point about even just accepting your story for itself and then being able to have that self-worth glory, like you just mentioned, having that self-confidence, that belief in your ability to get things done. Uh, I just wanted to say, like, how much is how much does a role of really, I don't say transparency, but really vulnerability and also just being comfortable with not just the ugly sides of building a platform, but the ugly sides of, you know, our, our own stories and who we are. And like, how do you, because for us to be able to get on stages and give our speeches, our talks, all the stuff we do in our professional careers, we got to be comfortable to tell our stories, comfortable with the downside, comfortable with the days you were struggling, comfortable with the days you failed and people laughed at you and, you know, and not letting that affect you. Like, how do we, how do we get to a place where like, all right, not only am I comfortable and I'm accepting myself, 
but I can actually put that out there in the world and use this to elevate my platform or influence people or, you know, inspire others. Um, that's tough. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, I mean, I, got, I, 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 no, I, I was real quick. I just thought of this question because I feel like we financial literacy, well, at least through social media, <laughs> like, you know, but when you're always telling people, go do this, go start this, go push this out there, put yourself out there, you know, go create something, go start a profile, go do something. And really, you know, people don't know how to do these things. People aren't even confident in themselves, comfortable in themselves, which is absolutely okay. Like everyone goes through their phases, but like at the same time, I'm like, you know, just we don't, I don't think we talk enough about like how much self building of our own character, of our own self that it takes to get into like, all right, then we're going to build a platform too. Because the three of us, we cheated. It took three of us to, you know, and we did the podcast together and we teamworked over the past few, especially through the pandemic because we didn't have each other. It was just a solo podcast. I don't know if we would have kept going, uh, hypothetically in theory. Um, but at the same time, I do, I do think having our network, us getting together for those weekly meetups, COVID safe, no worry. I don't want to hear no, nobody saying nothing about us, um, <laughs> environments, but like, I think we helped, but we helped each other get through it uh, as well. But if you're on your own, it's kind of hard to really like find that, that vision say like, all right, I'm not confident that this is hypothetical. I'm not confident that I was poor for a few years. My family struggled. I'm not confident I had to be homeless for a little bit. I'm not confident that I had to like, you know, no one was there for me when I needed help. And so I don't know how to do this. So when I'm about to start this business, I'm not sure about myself, but how do, how can people really work through that? to elevate your story and then put that into their platform for different audiences. I don't, there's n- there's no process to become comfortable with failure. Mm-hmm. If we're being honest, mm-hmm. right. There's mm-hmm. nothing but there's nothing but failure that can teach you failure. I mean, like, you know, people like there's reassurance that comes from people of like, you know, it's okay to fail. And, you know, I got here through, you know, the, the walk of 10,000 steps begins with a single footstep. Like we have, we can have all the motivational quotes you want. Nothing prepares you for failure except the failure itself and be able to work through that when it's in front of you. And so I think it's hard to answer this question because I don't want to give an answer that says like, oh yeah, I did it so you can do it too. I, I've tried to avoid anything that relates to exceptionalism within myself and my story, no matter how low I thought I was to the, like the heights I thought I reached. But I also want to keep it as real as possible and even when i anticipate what i'll feel for failure is nothing compared to what i feel when i actually feel the failure if it, i don't know how it is for y'all but like when you feel that you feel at your lowest point that you can't accomplish anything everything you've been trying to do doesn't work uh maybe like glory says you don't got anybody support right now because you're not, you're not doing it the right way and things aren't working for you it's like how do you t- how do you prepare somebody for that you can't like structurally plan your failures there's no point in planning your failure necessarily. You plan to succeed and you fail, you learn, you strive for the success again. So the best way, I feel like the best way you can do for it is once you is just be willing to put yourself out there. That's that's some of the best advice somebody can give you is to say, hey, you are going to encounter things you've never seen, saw, or felt comfortable with. And if you're ready for that dream that you have or that mission or that purpose or that goal, you will have to be willing to put yourself here Stay there to get to that point. And some people are like, some people are successful the first time. I've met them. God bless their hearts. I wish <laughs> I had half their luck, a quarter. I'll hit the lottery in three seconds. And some people, they'll tell you, they hit the, they smacked the pavement 20 times over over the course of 10, 15 years. They started eight different businesses. They went to school and dropped out three or four different times. They had to retake classes. They had to go overseas. They were no, like, everybody's story is different and it's crazy. But if there's a commonality is, they were willing and comfortable to experience the failure. 
especially that first time, to keep go- doing it again to get to the point where they're like, you know, I got to where I was trying to go to. I'm still going there, but now I'm on a more successful track, and the rest is history. But f- failure, only failure can prepare. Only failure can prepare you for failure. So that's true. So I think I took the question. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I think I took the question a little bit differently. I think. I wasn't necessarily the failure that I was seeing from Mike's question, but more so dealing with the commentary or the backlash regarding the content that you put out. So, you know, dealing with like the trolls on the internet or dealing with, you know, the negative comments and the negative feedback. So for me, I think the, the failure in and of itself is the least challenging part because at least you're able to control that situation. Right. You're able to go through it. You're able to make that decision. You're able to bounce back. It's, a lot of that is internal. But I think whenever you put content out and I, and I think to this to the answer that I'm going to give, I still don't know the answer. <laughs> well, the comment I'm going to give, I still don't know the answer. Right. But I think there's there's stages. And so there's even times on the pod where I'll listen back and be like, huh, that didn't come across the way I wanted it to come across. Or, shoot, I know somebody's going to have something slick to say about this, right? I think dealing with the external factors is a lot harder because you have no control over that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy to say, well, just ignore them. Just don't read it. Just turn it off. Half of your podcast is trying to or growing whatever you're trying to put out is learning to what people are saying about it and so when you're going through and yes you might have 95 percent, you know four and five stars and then you got 30 percent or whatever 10 percent one star and you stuck on that one star review you're stuck on it it's the same way our news cycle works right dudes graduate and get married or whatever but we gonna put the robbery on the news right so it's like we we're we're stuck on the negative and i think it's it can be harmful and i think that's the hardest part to deal with is recognizing that whatever you put out into the world once you put it out it belongs to the world and i think that's the the scariest part about content and that's why i give Sometimes I really admire content creators to be able to put this out, knowing that there's going to be just as many negative comments as there are positive and just keep pushing. And again, I know, obviously, that's a very oversimplification, but that's the, the for me, the toughest part. And I think you have to be strongest to deal with that, to know that, hey, people that don't like it, they just don't like it. And, you know, you have to recognize why you're there. But I, I know even for myself, that that's so much easier said than done. I know that I'm still struggling with how to deal with that. And and that's very much a microcosm for us on a very small scale. For the folks that do it in our celebrities and, and things of that nature, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, dealing with that negative criticism um, on day in, day out. Yeah, you know, I, I have a different perspective from all of you guys, but in a summary, also a combination of both, because I feel like I've been on the spectrum of it all. Like, you know, as cliche as it sounds, how you were saying, uh, Stephen, as far as not just saying to the audience members, I've done this and you can do it. Um, And that is true. Um, The realism part of it and being vulnerable is also being okay to also be inspiring people with that story, right? Um, So part of that for me is 
there's this other quote by Tony Robbins. Uh, he says, whatever you focus on becomes a reality, right? And uh, that's an, it can be seen as cliche if you are, well, am I focused on the negative or am I focused on the positive? Well, uh, the noise out there, I could choose to ignore it. And, you know, what about the stories I tell myself once I read through the comments and how people receive them and now I have self-doubts and lose confidence in my abilities? Well, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of John Maxwell. He wrote this book called Failing Forward. I would highly suggest that for you guys. Failing Forward really talks about being okay with it. Yes. And mm -hmm. that talks into the intrinsic capability for one to control how you can bounce back and going through the process and understanding what that's going to be like and not knowing what the outcome is going to be and being uncomfortable being uh you know in, in this process and just also be comfortable being uncomfortable right i've been and living it uh for these past two years in a different manner you know and it's just one of those things where I could give so many examples, but um, it's not so much so where I can do it and you can do it, but hopefully it can inspire somebody. And that's where my mission in terms of like empowering other people comes in as far as being able to say, yes, you can do it. Not necessarily because I did it, but because I believe that you have all that's within you to be able to do what you wish that you want to accomplish. And so as far as like a, a brief example, when I was hosting, looking forward to host my first workshop and mind you, uh, this was only about seven months ago, roughly. And I knew what the vision is. I had all the ideas and what I was going to do and all of that. Um, and that event, you know, was something in which I was trying to plan and just about two weeks. And now I know it wasn't enough time. I knew I didn't have, the opportunity but i also knew uh, in terms of what i focus on and how i put myself to it could really shift that focus to the outcome but i was already doubting the process in terms of being able to even get it done in the first place so guess what happened nobody showed up no one showed up i put it out there reached out to however many people i can remember whether or not it was like 60 or to 100 people no one showed up no and and i can remember the amount of no's i had to get through um and that killed me it, i mean i was devastated mm -hmm. um i remember it was this guy who you know he saw me there and i mean this is where the vulnerability comes in because part of that too is you have to allow yourself to get to a level where you've gone through enough failures that it's not that it it doesn't phase you anymore, but like you were saying, Corey, it, there's different stages of it where sometimes you can, okay, the positive or the negative that you no longer allow yourself to stay on, on that unknown. Uh, there's another gentleman by the name of John Pacino, I think, um, maybe we'll turn his name, but he says, you are the placebo making the mind matter. Uh, if you look that quote up, it's his book, you'll find it. Uh, he's a neuroscientist and wrote so many different books. But like, as far as he says, you create your own future from the unknown. And so what that means, could, we could go into different topics and, and tangent in terms of neuroplasticity and all of that. 
But one thing I can remember clearly is after that failure happened and that stage, I went back and had to pivot and, and look at the different process and really look into what I needed to do and balance back. And yes, I was able to bounce back and show point the next time I hosted the event, I had people standing up standing outside the door, right? And that happened because I then now was able to recreate what I was going to be doing and do it differently. But the other thing that I also want to put into perspective in terms of failing forward and being vulnerable and okay with how people receive it is really how much we have all that we need within us to be able to do the things that we want, even if we will hit roadblocks. I mean, I spent, this is part of why I really started, this is the main reason why I started Build Your Own Narrative. I spent seven years in school, you guys, for like, there's no reason I should be. I'm as capable as anybody else to be able to do what I need to do to go through the process for your degree. I mean, I've shared a little bit how I started from, you know, computer science to economics, but then also like when I was in class, I, you know, things, certain things I wasn't doing right. And I probably wasn't focused as well. And, you know, so many other things, but I failed, like I failed a thousand times. Like, you know, I remember taking, which, I don't know which class, Stephen. You may have been in that class. It could have been. Was it one of the algorithm courses, thirty-five yeah, two? Twenty-five. Yeah. Oh my God! It was Dude, in hell. Hell I, on earth. It was like I, I, I had like a forty-one in one of those. I, I should have known. Like, what am I doing? We, we were <laughs> the, the exam averages were like forties, and we were all just sitting there like, "Yo, we might have to switch. We, we might be cooked." Like, <laughs> it's true. Uh, and and I, that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to give up too, because like I was like, all right, damn, if I have to give that up, I'm gonna have to start over. But I also realized like, okay, man, maybe that wasn't the path that was gonna be for me to be able to do things I'm doing, and and I had to be okay with that, right? Like the criticism, oh my god, right? Like I mean, so I went to also a, a private school in Haiti, which is like okay. almost an equivalent of an Ivy League here. Mm -hmm. So, like, our family, given the background I was sharing with you, yeah, as far as, like, the expectations are through the roof. Meeting them. I mean, you guys know, I'm sure for all of us, right? Yeah. And I felt like I was letting everybody down, man. Like, mm -hmm. I was like, damn, I was letting myself down. I was letting my families down. Like, I, you know, I even got an academic probation. I was like, bro, like, what am I doing? Yeah. Um, And I had to get through that. And I feel like that part of it when I got through that those stages once I was able to get through those stages and be like okay all right what this is what it looks like and so I finally tasted what success felt like for the first time which to some degree at its highest form was when I graduated how ironic right and so <laughs> that was like okay you know the pivotal point for me if I could find a definition of meaning of, of success because failure goes hand in hand with success you cannot have failure and not have success as yeah. well right so that approach kind of helped me switch my mind because I started surrounding myself with people that were more in the line of work that I was doing and operating on a high level and it gave me that confidence boost you know that I was going to be able to do it afterwards no matter how long it take me and on top of it recognize 
you know, nothing really can prepare you for it until it happens, because that is true. Be in the moment while you're there, like the Warriors lost last night. Dude, I was pissed. But but like i i felt that sense for them and in, in terms of like failing they had a horrible season i mean you could name so many reasons why but it's just one of those things nothing can really prepare you but i feel like if you're able to know that you can yes get through it allow yourself to go through that um and also genuinely uh, allow your mindset to, to to elevate in a different way and use your story, your pain points, because there's somebody out there that needs to hear your story. There's a story within each and every single one of you that somebody that's coming after you or even before you have yet to hear that you have to say it that's going to make a difference in their lives in a manner that you may not even be able to imagine. And so... That's how I look at it because now, like, you can see how, like, that got me fired up. It's just because of how much I feel like I've been through. But at the same time, like, that doesn't mean you have to get to go do these big things in order for you to also have something to share valuable and know that if it's a failure of whatever level of magnitude anybody, you know, can learn from because what are failures are for, for you to learn from and for you to elevate yourself afterwards so um that's the, per the perspective that i really share in terms of failure no i, I, I like that man i to appreciate you being vulnerable because i know when you reflect back on it sometimes you're just like man like a, a lot so much time if i knew how to do this or do Bro. that and you're just mm -hmm. like you, you yeah it's like damn i wish i stayed more disciplined mm -hmm. i listened to you know i was putting myself around the right people and you know so many things i wish i would have done differently but at the same time the journey to that store would not have been what it is today if i hadn't gone through these things so i have to appreciate that in the process because now i can inspire other people to help them believe that they themselves can be able to do it for themselves because they have everything inside of them yeah yeah I Beautiful response. Thank you so much, Gloria, for sharing all that, being vulnerable. It literally got to the heart of the question, just being able to fight fight for that acceptance of yourself and like, you know, where are where are our dark places bring us sometimes? They can bring us to the light too. There's two sides to every coin. And we have to keep elevating our story, even the tough parts of them too. Um, but thank y'all so much. It was a great conversation, very comprehensive, very holistic as well. Um, I feel like we've been talking for a while uh, as well. So I definitely want to wrap it up here. Um, right, we're gonna move into a plug and plug. Mr. Gloria Brutus, you can plug the Build Your Narrative LLC, tell the people about it, where they can find you, how to contact you, how can they get in touch with your services? Yeah, uh, so my mission, like I was saying before, is to empower uh, small business owners to elevate themselves through personal branding uh, using social media marketing. Um, I'm on all the platforms, uh, Instagram, it's how it sounds, Build Your Own Narrative. Uh, also, you can find me on LinkedIn, Gloria Brutus, and also find Build Your Own Narrative LLC on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a Facebook page as well. And um, yeah, connect with me. I'd love to connect with anybody that's looking forward to just getting started, uh, being able to put themselves out there. And even those that are already there, they just need someone to continuously with the process as far as the content creation goes um, and 
helping them to be able to put their voice out there and amplify their brands. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And then we're we'll just moving to pass ox. We signed up. There we mm -hmm. go. <laughs> All right. Pass the ox. Glory, you are the guest. So you must lead us. Man. <laughs> All right. Uh, right now, I have no idea by Don Tolliver. Uh, hey, the song came out three years ago, but uh, I literally just came upon it uh, these past few weeks, and I was like, oh my god, this is such a good song and so relatable, um, and so I think uh, you guys will like it and you get a chance to hear it. I don't know if we explained the reason why we chose that song, but it's the one area of my life that's been... Uh, a little rusty these past few years so <laughs> right. i don't know you you guys you guys got yourself a girl already everybody or everyone's focused on their career and, and education <laughs> i'm i'm just waiting for yo steven yo Corey is hilarious yo Corey's hilarious bro no it's <laughs> Yo, these dudes is yo. These dudes got the best PR in the game. Just don't answer the question. I'm just a black man trying to get a job. That's all I'm I I always co-sign what Mike says because whatever Mike says never gets oh. him in trouble. So I'm I'm all, I'm outside. I'm gonna go against the grain. Oh, See, that's, that's let, me get, let me let me get let me go get the air horns for Corey, bro. <laughs> Yeah, bro. Uh -huh. He he's definitely outside correspondent for sure. Wow. I, I, I work my nine to five. If you need weeks. outside help, bro, Glory, <laughs> hit up Corey ASAP, bro. He'd be the guy, man. He's That's that guy. So funny. That's, I love it. I love it. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go next with my song. Um, <laughs> so the song I did again came across a playlist um that I was listening to the other day. I uh, really like the vibe, the beat. Uh, given a good a good summer vibe, so I think now that's what I'm looking for stuff to drive around to in the summer. Uh, the song is called Elmina, featuring ID. Uh, excuse me, by IDK, featuring Tay Awar. So make sure y'all go check that out again. The song is called Elmina, IDK, and Tay Awar. Or you swear he's Nigerian now. It's like the third time he's played a Nigerian artist in the last three months. <laughs> Dude, try to diversify my playlist and now, Steven, this is why I can't do nothing. This is why I can't do nothing. <laughs> nah, you. <laughs> you want me to go, Mike, or you you, you up there? Uh, yeah, I can go next. Um, I just got uh, Saba had a new single out. It came out, I think, a month ago uh, with No ID producing. So a great clap to me. I like the song a lot. So the song is called Back in Office by Saba. Young Sebastian back in office. Slipped out of the back in a flying saucer. Cristela, where we at? Declining office. I hear niggas rapping can make salsa. Tomato, tomato, it's all sauceless. Back in office by Sabah. Word, word, word. Um, I'm going to slightly change the vibe just a little bit. So my song this week, I actually heard for the first time at an album listening party that I was at in lexington um and it was really dope this i think this is probably one of the first ones i've actually been to at least out there um but shout out to cub capulet um he dropped his album pretend i'm in your living room uh about I want to say three or four weeks ago 
So this song is the first song of the, the album, which is called Pretend I'm in Your Living Room. So this is Pretend I'm in Your Living Room, Cub Capulet featuring the Hotel Lobby. say really quick just an observation so uh myself you steven and Corey, uh it sounds like we uh, all had a song that had to do with a girl or somebody that we're not talking about (laughs) but hey i i ain't saying anything because when i don't want to get any trouble get trouble in any trouble but except for mike he kept it Back in the office. Steven, <laughs> <laughs> wrap up the pot. Wrap up the Yo, pot. <laughs> listen, all I was going to say is shout out to Cub Capulet. Shout out to the hotel lobby. I met both of them in person. We're going to get them on the pot at some point. But big shout out. I love the song, man. Congrats on the album. Again, we'll be in contact real soon. Mike, take it away before Gloria gets somebody in trouble. That's not me. <laughs> Thank y'all for tuning in. Remember to like, rate, subscribe, engage with the pod at AD Convos on IG. I will look out for Build Your Own Narrative on IG as well. And we'll see y'all next week. Peace. All right. We on an African conversation, conversating, talking about a black vision. We on a mission to spread the word of our people. See us sequel, so time to step aside. We on a sequel, you can catch us at 5 p.m. Every Sunday, tell us toys about the culture. I'm sculpture, recording every Friday So here with our way, no need to catch a flight away Stay tuned for our take We 
Conversations.